everybody, and welcome to Nostalgia Crew, the monthly podcast where we talk all things nostalgic. Uh, this is Bill, along with Danielle. Hello! And I'm sure some of you are wondering, why is this airing in the beginning of October? Well, after almost a year and a half of meeting whatever deadline that we had, uh... September, we sort of got caught up with everything. We were both busy every weekend. Yep. And then the last week of September, I got sick. Uh, ended up with a double ear infection. But um, So this is our September show in the beginning of October. But that doesn't mean we're not going to do our October show. We are going to do it. Uh, we'll talk about it at the end of the month, or at the end of the show. Not the end of the month. Good Lord. So you get two episodes in one month. Basically. Yeah, isn't that great? As a way of saying thanks for understanding and thanks for sticking with us. And you know, speaking of sticking with us, we got, and I found this a couple of weeks ago, our first review on iTunes. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, it was lit or litten. It was litten. Why? It was written by Eclectic Master. Uh, this is very short, but to the point. And he wrote, "Nostalgia Crew is great for those of us who love nostalgia." And he gave us five stars. Well, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. And of course. Please, you know, when you listen to this show, please give us a positive review. Give us four or five stars. Because the more reviews we get, the more people are going to know about this. So, um, and I know uh, a big fan of our show is the co-host of Shark's Pond with me, uh, Fro. He is a big fan of Nostalgia Crew. So, we, you have an international fan, Danielle. How do you, how do you feel about that? You are loved in Norway. Wow. I think for the first time ever. Our brother country. I I was. Um, But. But um, I don't know. Can't say I've met anybody from Norway before, so that's pretty exciting. I I almost said for the first time in her life, Danielle is speechless. But yeah, I've never talked to anybody from Norway before, so that's pretty exciting. Um, I have a few friends in Australia, a few in the UK, so yay Norway. Yes. <laughs> um, so this month, uh, the feature theme that Danielle and I were going to be talking about, um, because we had so much fun last year with this, uh, we decided to do it again, and this is going to be an annual tradition. We watched a Saturday morning lineup special, um, and we talked about this at the end of last show, um, with the cast from Saved by the Bell. So we are going to review that. That's going to be our feature this month on Nostalgia Crew. So if you're a fan of Saved by the Bell or NBC cartoons, uh, this is the one for you. So, um, I want to 
we're going to open up the floor now for topics, and I'm going to let Danielle have the floor because on the last show, I made a mental error by cutting Danielle off because she had a topic to talk about, and I accidentally cut her off, and so I'm going to let her go with this topic, and, and she'll explain what it is. Okay. Um, well, this has already happened um, in some parts. Not here, though. Um, there, there's a show in the UK um, called, now I'm just looking this up. Um, it's a, um, there's a special, um, an anthology show that airs in the UK. And I'm trying to look at the name of it. Um, that what they are doing for each um, individual episode is to um, bring back just do like a one-off show, as they call it, like a you know quick special of a classic British sitcom. So, you know, it's just a little special. Well, most of them are updated versions or reunion shows or, you know, or not reunion shows, but more or less like the same show just set mm -hmm. in the present day. Right. But they have new cast members because, um, you know, a lot of the old cast members have passed and, or, you know, are much older and that kind of thing. So... They have taken several of them, um, such as, oh, I see, here, it's, um, yeah, they're celebrating 60 years of the television sitcom in England, and uh, one of the reasons they did was the show Are You Being Served, which they took it, it's still set in the past, but it's set, like, it's set in the 80s. Right. And it's about them trying to deal with 80s technology. And it, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Are You Being Served, but Are You Being Served is like an old-fashioned. Is It's about a department store, but the way it operates is really old-fashioned compared to what I would think a department store, how department stores here are. Right. In that everybody is so formal, Mr. Humphreys, Ms. Slocum. Um, when you come in, you don't just look around. You just, you come in and... The floor walker comes up to you and says, are he being served or, and tells you what they need? And then he goes to the sales clerk and says, are you free? Yes. It, it, it's so formal. Like, I I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. But it's a funny show. Mainly because it's so, what I find funny about British sitcoms is that they're so, people, I, I have this stereotype and it's, kind of my fault, that people in England are really, really formal and really, really... So whenever I hear one of them, like, say a dirty word or screw up, or right. it just cracks me up. Because especially in, like, a really proper-sounding accent, it just, I find... I find it hilarious here in America when people are really proper screw up. I just... It's a funny thing. But, um... Another one of the shows they are doing is Keeping Up Appearances, which is one of my favorite favorite shows every Saturday night when most of the kids in my high school were all out um, 
hanging out. I was home watching Keeping Up Appearances. Because um, PBS re-ran all the British sitcoms. I think they still do on Saturday night. And But Keeping Up Appearances, what they did with it was because the actress who played the lead on Keeping Up Appearances was so good and so closely identified with the role, there was no way they could recast somebody as her. So they said it in the past and did it when she was younger. Hmm. And um, so they did a special about that. Now these specials have, some of them have already aired in the UK, but they haven't aired here yet, and I'm waiting for, and it's weird because PBS sometimes takes a while to get the stuff here. Um, I remember there was another show called As Time Goes By right. that I loved and I thought for years had ended before it actually did because it took us about a, two years to get the last season aired over here. <laughs> so, um, and, but the one thing though, I, I'm looking forward to watching this when it airs, Keep Up Appearances, um, because it fills in a lot of the backstory because I've noticed that British sitcoms that I've seen, I don't, I haven't watched any of the more recent ones, so I can't really, these shows are from like the 80s and 90s and whatnot, so I can't really go off it too much. Right. But they don't care too much about backstory. It's just, this is funny now, haha, you know. Whereas now, you know, you'd want to know, okay, well, what's their history? How can we never see their parents? Well, what did they do? But, you know, what led them to be this way? And keeping up appearances never really explored that too much. It was just this woman was really fussy, and she has a husband that just is henpecked to death. <laughs> and she has a sister who she's embarrassed of because she's poor and her husband's slob. A slob and her other sister's really promiscuous and sleeps with like half the town. That's all it was. It was never explained how they got that way or how, you know, or, or anything like that. So they're doing a prequel and I find it fascinating because I want to see how she was when she was younger. Only thing that irks me though is that it's not, it goes back before she met her husband and her husband's not going to be a character in it which makes me sad because I really would like to know how the hell that marriage happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because you look at them and you're like, how was he stuck putting up with this woman for 30 years? It's just crazy to me. But anyways, um, I, I want to see that. Um, are you being served? I'm a little irked about part of it because like I said, they took it and said it in the 80s. Well, one of the characters they recast left in the 70s because the actor died. And they didn't say he died on the show, but they said he had retired. And he wasn't mentioned for, like, most the rest of the run. So, I mean, you could say that he fell on hard times and had to go back to work. Mm -hmm. But it just seems weird that he's even in there again. But, you know... So, if you, like, are you being served, keeping up appearances, um, I think the other one that I had heard of was a show called The Good Life or Good Neighbors, um, just, you know, 
student or look for them. Um, I don't know if PBS is going to bring them over or BBC America is airing them. I don't know. So just look out for those. They're, they look kind of interesting. All right. Very good. Um, uh, I, I only have two things I want to bring up. Um, uh-huh. But I'm going to split them up so you know we each have time to... The first one, and we had some comments on this in our Facebook group. Um, Daniel, a.k.a. Killenberg, he posted this in our Facebook group. And one of the things that, if you are new to the show, that Danielle is not a fan of, or has not become a fan of, is Disney taking classic cartoon movies mm-hmm. and making them live action, such as The Jungle Book. Right. Well, get ready, because they're going to do another one. Yep. It is going to be The Lion King. <sighs> and John Favreau announced this on Twitter. Um... And it's a picture of Mufasa, and with the, um, excuse me, with the sentence saying, excited for my next project. Now, Disney released a statement about this, saying, Disney has officially confirmed that the Walt Disney Studios and director John Favreau are putting a new reimagining of The Lion King on the fast track to production. The project follows the technologically groundbreaking smash hit The Jungle Book, directed by Favreau, which debuted in April and has earned $965 million worldwide. Mm. The statement continues that The Lion King will include songs from the animated film. So, at least you don't get to lose the songs. Um, now, I want to read the comments uh, before we put our opinions in. Uh, one person said, Can they have James Earl Jones still reprise his role as Mufasa again? I don't really give a shit about the other actors that much. Uh, one person said, I am so effing tired of these bad live-action remakes. Disney needs to get some imagination brought back to their studios. And one person said, well, the Jungle Book was good, so I'm cool with this. Alright, so, how do you feel about this? Well, first of all, I just want to say that I now am a huge, I am a reformed believer in Disney's live-action remakes after having seen Cinderella. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. I am in love with After they did that, I said, you know what, whatever they do, just go on ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Because I saw Cinderella, if you ever get a chance, watch the 2000, um, it was last year or was it this year that they did it? Jungle it was, Book? No, Cinderella. Oh, I think, I think it was last year. Yeah, 2015 version of Cinderella. And if you can, get it on Blu-ray. It's even better. 
I swear to God, I just got a Blu-ray player. It is beautiful. Ugh. All right. Anyways, as for The Lion King, I'm a little leery about all animal cast films. Just, I don't know. Princess movies, I'm okay with. You know, you can just do a live action one of those easily. They did CGI a few things like the rats and Cinderella didn't talk. They were just CGI'd and all that stuff. But when it's a, pri a um, film primarily composed of talking animals, it's a little weird. Mm -hmm. um, unless they're going to do it like the like Babe, which I highly doubt they will. I doubt it. Because Babe worked well for its time. I mean, it was over 20 years ago, but now with the technology they have, I think they're going to really try to go even further with it. Right. And my friend was telling me um, that he, um, or she actually, had, had the privilege of seeing the Broadway production of The Lion King, and she felt like that was the furthest they could go with it, hmm. was in terms of productions, if you're going to elevate the movie, that's the, that was the best way to elevate it. And what? And she doesn't understand how you could do any better than what that was. Right. And the Broadway production was, you know, people dressed in the costumes dancing around. It wasn't, you know. So I, I don't know. I'm a little. I didn't see the Jungle Book. I might go back and watch it. I don't know. I also heard that they're doing Beauty and the Beast next spring. They, I'm very stoked for that. They are, and I think it's Emma Watson who's going to portray Belle, and I've seen a poster of it, and that's a perfect fit. Even though I'm even though I'm not a fan of that movie. I I have a few friends who said it's going to be hard for them because they grew up with the Harry Potter movie, so they can't yeah. see her anyone but Hermione. But I didn't like Harry Potter, so I'm good. <laughs> Um, and Josh Gad, who I think is hilarious. I don't know if anybody knows who Josh Gad is, but he, um, oh, I forgot what movie he was in, but he is playing Gaston's best friend, LaFoe. Okay. And if you, um, I'm about to go, he does the voice of in Frozen, but I, but I know he's probably done something else. He was in a movie called with Kevin Hart called The Wedding Ringer. Mm -hmm. Also, he was on a very hilarious short-lived sitcom that I watched a few years back called 1610 about the president's family, and he played the president's um, screw-up son, and he was really hilarious on that, and I hate that that show got canceled because it's a very funny show. Um, he is... Well, yeah, I'm looking up, and the main thing that he did was he did the voice of um, Olaf and Frozen. <laughs> but other than that, oh, he was a correspondent on a daily show for two years, so if you watch the daily show, I guess you would probably remember him. Right. Yeah, but in any case, he if you saw what he looked like and watched an interview, he is perfect, perfect for that role. So I am looking forward to that. But, yeah, Lion King, kind of iffy with. Um, it would be great if James Earl Jones did it. Right. Because 
Good oh, Lord. I, I, I think he would be able to. He's not that old. No, and he seems in good health from what I've read at least. I... Oh, he's 85 years old, so... Yeah. As they, okay, they said that animation styles will be similar to the 2016 version of the Jungle Book. Okay. So... Alright, well... I'll give it... Oh, I see. And they worked with Jim Henson's Creature Shop on the Jungle Book, so... Oh, okay. Hey, you know... If someone says, hey, do you want to go see The Lion King, I'll go. But I don't know if I'll go out of my way to see it too much. But if somebody wants to, you know, I don't mm-hmm. mind. Okay. Um, I'd be given, I'd be willing to give this one a try. I mean, I still want to see The Jungle Book. Um, it's just I haven't had time. And I, I would like to. I know it's on demand right now. So uh-huh. maybe I'll get a chance. I'd be willing, I really would be willing to give Lion King a try, because that's still one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid. Um, so, I would be fine giving that a shot, and it'll be interesting to see how they do. I mean, we don't know when it's going to come out, you know, it, it might not come out to 2018, we got to think about that, so. Um, oh, go on. And, you know, I, I just think maybe, you know, it, Maybe maybe it'll end up being good. Who knows? Maybe we're but maybe yeah. we're right. Maybe we're wrong. But yeah, like you said, it'll be a while because Disney's announced so many live action remakes already that are in production. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they've already announced that the Mulan movie will be out in 2018. Right. And then there's there's talk about the Aladdin one as well. I mean, yeah, it'll be a while. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, now, I know you had another story that you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go ahead? Okay. I have a few, so I'm just trying to pick one. All right. Because I only have one more, so you have the uh, oh, the okay. bulk of the, the stuff we'll talk about today. So. Sure. Okay. Well, I guess I'll do this one because it kind of leads into our main story in that our main story is kind of concerns my childhood right. in a matter of speaking. So this is something from my childhood that has been brought back as it seems like everything <laughs> from my childhood has been bought back in some form or another. But um, they have the company Wicked Cool Toys has announced Teddy Ruxpin 2.0 <laughs> coming next year. Yeah. And good God, is it horrifying. Um, it does look a little scary. It is very creepy looking. I, I'll have to post the link. I don't know if, if anybody in the group brought it up, but I'll have to post the picture. Um, one of the people who's in our group posted it, but I don't know if he posted in our group or on his timeline. Uh, but yeah, if you <laughs> had any thought it looked creepy then, it looks even weirder now. Um, so, they have a, a statement explaining why they are bringing him back. Mm-hmm. It said that the kids who embraced him back then are 28 to 40 years old now. They have young kids who they 
Schmidt and I hate that thing, who they'd want to introduce Teddy Ruxpin to. We felt the time was right to bring back this nostalgic toy, but with the right technology to fit the time. So he, in that technology, he has color LCD eyes that can show up to 40 animated expressions that are synced to the story. Hmm. And his eyes also flash hearts, stars, and even snowflakes. He has an internal hard drive with 10 stories on it about his adventures with an option to download additional ones. And it ha they has touch sensors in the hands and feet to allow you to start, pause, or switch the story. And a companion app that lets kids read along with them. And it won't hit stores until July of next year, and it starts at $99, so there you go. You know, I'll say this. And, and I said this jokingly, but I sort of mean this. They missed out. Um, on because we talked about it before with the original Teddy Ruxpin you put a cassette tape in the back and it, you know will read its stories but it, you know if you put a regular cassette tape in there it would also play it right I wish they would have let people put CDs in there because I think that would have been very entertaining to see you know like like just get a party over and be like, oh, let's listen to this, uh, Teddy Ruxpin. Um, so, no, I mean, you know, it's very interesting. I don't know if I would buy it for myself or any of my nephews. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the eyes are real, like, big bug eyes and all that. So. Yeah. It... <laughs> very, very interesting. <laughs> um. Let me see. Where is. Do I... I'm trying to find my story. Maybe. Maybe I have it. Maybe I don't have it. Um. Oh, okay. I, I do have one. Um, okay. And, of course, this is a little past the due date um, of the primetime Emmys. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we, we, we've we passed that by, like, two right. or three yeah. weeks. So, uh, there was an article that got put up about two weeks ago by Jeremy Fuster of The Rap. And he came up with a list of ten... TV shows okay. that never won their respective top Emmy, be it comedy or drama. But they were nominated. They were nominated. They were nominated. Okay. Or, or if they weren't nominated, which some might, you know, uh -huh. which, especially the first one, the first one, well, I'll just say my So anyway, here's his list of the ten that he's put up. Okay. The very first one he has is The Simpsons. Really? Yes. Never been nominated for Best Comedy. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Because I was like, I know they've won some. Oh, they've won a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they were... Really crazy. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, 
Next one, it's a little bit more recent, but it does go into this department. Uh-huh. Parks and Recreation. Uh-huh. Um, I sort of fell off after the first season, not because the show was bad or anything. I just didn't have time. Uh, the next show he has on his list is Oz. I never watched that, so I can't really... <laughs> yeah, I can't do anything, say anything. Um... Another one is The Shield. Yeah, didn't watch that either. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Louie, the star or, or with uh, Louis C.K. I know, again, that's a little bit more recent, but it is yeah. on the list. Um, another one is Deadwood, which is also the nickname of a lot of old men's penises, is Deadwood. I know. That was bad. That was bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next one. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That I can kind of understand. But where would you have put it, though? Would, it, would you have put it as a comedy, or would you have put it as a drama? Probably. I think of that show more as a drama than a comedy. Right. Because... While they were lighthearted moments, it still had a much darker. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Desperate Housewives, which was both, but they put it in a comedy. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> it was. But Desperate Housewives, while it had darker moments, it was still a lighthearted show at its, um, you know. At the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, by all appearances. So, uh, you know, but I felt like Buffy had more of a cult following than anything. Yeah. As opposed to, like, a industry following. Right. So I can kind of get what. Oh, yeah, it was best TV series, musical, or comedy. That's what. Oh, no, that was for the Golden Globes. Yeah, they think of Golden Globes. Okay. Oh, it was nominated for, um, okay. Yeah, it's, it, ah, it, all right. Yeah, it was nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series. That's what it was. All right. All right, next one, Roseanne. That really surprised me. That really did. Despite getting 17 nominations and won four, did not take home the best one. Uh, another one, again, another most recent one, but is on here. Friday Night Lights. That's also surprising. Um, and as soon as I can get this, because my thing is being a pain in the you-know-what, because I was right on the last one, um... You just hate it when that happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I know. I, I'm having you on the edge of your seats, folks. <laughs> Come on. Uh. There we go. Last one. Mm -hmm. The Wire. Huh. Also surprising. And that was a Baltimore show, so... Oh, yes. 
very Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else do you have? Okay. Because well, I am I am done. Okay, I have two things now. Um. Hmm. All right. Well, keeping in the TV theme, actually, both of these are TV-related topics. Um. ABC has been, uh, we've talked about this on several shows, ABC has done very well with their game show revivals. Um, All of them have been picked up for a second season. But now they have decided that they're going to keep trying their luck um, with how successful they have been and are reviving the game show. Yeah! (laughs) So, um, I'm the thing with the gong show is it never took itself seriously true which i think if it is a success which i think it will then i think it it'll get another you know another run because it's not a serious talent show it's just people you know doing these really bad gimmicks even though, you know, some think that they got the talent. Um, but it was always a funny show to watch. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, Steve Martin was a judge back then on there a couple of episodes. Uh, I think Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, was on the gong show once. Yes, he was. Um, and there was actually a gong show movie at yeah. one point in... Uh, I think it was the early 80s. Um, and that was a real thing, folks. So if you can ever find the Gong Show movie... Um, oh, actually, it got released on Blu-ray this year. And the show was revived twice, because I remember seeing it. It was revived as Extreme Gong on GSN, hosted by George Gray. I didn't realize it's George Gray. For those who don't know George Gray, George Gray is currently the announcer on The Price is Right, but he used to be a game show host years ago. And um, he's 
very funny. Um, and then with David Tell on Comedy Central, I don't remember that version. No, I don't either. But I do remember Extreme Gong Game Show Network, but um, I didn't realize that it was George Gray who hosted it, though. Um, oh. But yeah, that's one of those, like, um, cult followings, you know, that the Gong Show had. So... So yeah, I'm, it's really cool that they have brought it back. And actually, I'm looking at this now. Uh, there have been international versions of the Gong Show. In Australia, it was called the Gong Show, but it only lasted for three weeks. In Germany, it was called Die Gong Show. In India, it's Sabsebakar Gong. Indonesia, it's just Gong Show, and in the United Kingdom, it's the Gong Show. Mm-hmm. So, why didn't Weird Al ever do a parody of the Thong Song? It would have been. It should have been the Gong. You know, the Gong Show. He could have done it in the style of Thong Song. That would have been tight. And I just realized that Chuck Barris. The creator of um, who hosted the Gong Show. I don't know if he created the Gong Show, but he was. Um, but he's still alive. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, he is. So, you know, you never know. Exactly. So. Huh. All right. Well, um, unless we have anything else to talk about. Okay. Oh yeah, and just I wanted to see my other. Okay. This is okay. Um, Bill, I know, hasn't finished watching it yet. Right. (laughs) But for those of you who have watched Fuller House and already watched all 13 episodes, um, they have announced that season two premieres December 9th on Netflix. So mark your calendars accordingly. Yeah, that surprises me that they're going to come out before the year is over. Well, they're doing a lot of... There's a lot of holiday episodes in the the upcoming season, so I think they want to get a jump. Mmm, yeah. There's going to be a huge Thanksgiving special featuring all of the original cast, with the exception of the old ones, of course. Of course. Um, Where we will be... Nikki and Alex will be back, as well as Joey's wife and his children will be coming. Oh, so we're going to finally get to see them. We'll get to see them, and I read that the Gladstones apparently have a very lax attitude in terms of parroting, so their kids are little hellions. (laughs) (laughs) So that should be fun. And and also, Steve, um, you know, DJ's ex-boyfriend, Matt, her co-worker slash love interest, Fernando, Kimmy's ex-husband, and Lola, um, DJ's son's um, crush, as well as Kimmy's daughter's best friend, have all been promoted to series regulars, so they'll all be... So it's going to be a lot of people, as the title alludes. So, yeah, December 9th. If you don't have a Netflix account, borrow someone else's. <laughs> um, it. If you can manage, it's not even... The first month is free, so... <laughs> um, there you go. Yeah. All right, well, I, I'm definitely going to at least watch the Thanksgiving special. Yeah. 
Because I don't think they ever did a Thanksgiving special. They did on the original the first year because Stephanie, I remember Stephanie dropped the turkey. Ah, uh, see, I don't remember that episode. She was little. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Or she dropped something or other and she started crying. I, I remember that. But yeah, after, and it's actually called our very first Thanksgiving. <laughs> hmm. But, but yeah, um, but they'll be doing Thanksgiving, Christmas, and I don't know if the New Year's one is the same episode, but they're doing a, um, a New Year's episode as well because I saw um, Bob Saget tweeted a picture of them filming it. Oh. All right, I'm going to make a prediction. Mm-hmm. The New Year's episode, there's going to be a wedding proposal. Oh, but oh yeah, you haven't watched the whole. Thing. Right, I haven't watched. Okay, okay. I haven't. I'm I'm at the halfway mark, so my goal is from now until December eighth to finish yeah. season one of Fuller House. So I got plenty of time over Thanksgiving. I got plenty of time. I'll be I'll be able, I'll be fine. Okay. I got, I got I got a couple of three day weekends coming up, so. Oh well, that's very exciting. I can do. Yeah. I can do it. Good. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Our, our feature for this month, and I got to be honest with everybody. Um, when we did the first one last year, like I said, that was found on a complete accident. It was going to be used for that wrestling show, but when Roddy Piper passed away, it was like, okay, we got to do it on this show. But all of the shows that were on it, you know, it looked really good. So, of course, we decided after that, you know, let's do it again next year, which is this year. And it's going to pretty much be a tradition that uh, we find any Saturday morning special uh, that previewed any upcoming Saturday morning lineup for that year. So, last year, for those who did not listen, which, oh, by the way, I recommend you do. It's a great episode. Um, this year was a little bit easier to choose. Uh, we went with NBC, and I had sort of, in my mind, made up the one that we were going to watch because of who is in it. Um, but before we get to that, I want to review... For everyone who is interested or wasn't around at the time, mm -hmm. NBC's Saturday morning lineup from the year before. So, this is 1988-89. Mm -hmm. Alright? Now, this is what they have from 88-89. At 8 o'clock, they had a show called Kissy Fur. Huh? Never heard of it. At 8.30, they had The Adventures of the Gummy Bears. Everyone's aware of the Gummy Bears, so we don't have to go into detail there. Uh -huh. From 9 to 10, it was an hour of the Smurfs. From 10 to 11, a new show called The Alf, Alf Tales Hour. At 11, it was Alvin and the Chipmunks. At 11.30, it was the completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley. He had his own show? Yep. 
Oh my god, okay. And from 12 to 1, it was too hip for TV. A variety show aimed at children that was hosted by Colin Quinn and Ahmet Zeppa. Musical guests included the Red Hot Chili Peppers, A.D. Brickle and New Bohemians, Sparks and Elvez, the Mexican Elvis. The series was set in a bowling alley. It aired from September 10th to October 22nd, 1988. So, yeah, you could tell by that point that that show got canceled. Kissy Fur during the season got canceled as well. Ooh. So, in the spring of 89, the Gummy Bears went from 8.30 to 8 to 9. They got an hour. The Smurfs still had their hour from 9 to 10. The Chipmunks got bumped up from 11 to 10 a.m. The Alf Alf Tales hour only went back a half hour, but they still had their full hour from 10.30 to 11.30. At 11.30, it's Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. At 12, it's Punky Brewster. And at 12.30, the Completely Mental Misadventures of Ed Grimley. So that was their lineup the uh -huh. year before what we are about to review. And it is a completely different schedule by the fall of 1989. So, um, again, NBC, they had a, a TV special, and this one is titled on YouTube, Lost Episode of Saved by the Bell, which is somewhat true, but also not true. The episode, or the special is called... Who Shrunk Saturday Morning? And also keep in mind, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids had just come out in theaters not too long, the following summer, the summer before this. So, All right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> unlike, unlike um, last year, where that was about an hour show, this one is only 20 minutes because the commercials were taken off. So, uh, let's get right into the review. So, we start with Slater and all three of the girls in the classroom. It is the first day of school at Bayside. And they joked, you know, that uh, Screech, almost said Sleech, Screech and Zach had not made it to class yet. Well, there's a problem. They got shrunk into this other world. And they're in this TV. So, again, excuse me. Um, so, you know, they tell their gang, you know, hey, you know, we need to get out of here. Somebody come help me. So, Slater and Lisa volunteered to go to Screech's house to help them. So, they go to the house. Meanwhile, Kelly and the chick from Showgirls, whose character name I forget, 
Um, you know the one I'm oh, talking Elizabeth about. Elizabeth Berkeley. Yeah, what was, what was her character's name on? Jesse. Jesse, thank you. Uh -huh. See, this is why, one of the many reasons why I need Danielle on this show. <laughs> no, so, um, Slater and Lisa, they go to Screech's house, and they see the shrinking ray. Well, the shrinking ray is still on. Lisa, being distracted by the light, puts her hand in front of the laser. Slater sees this, tries to get her away. And they both get zapped into the TV. So they are now in the same world as Zack and Screech. So they start wandering around, you know, trying to find where they are. But then they hear this voice. Ah! So they go around the corner and, hey, it's TV's Alf! Yes, Alf is here. Yep. And we, after they have a quick dialogue, we get a clip from the new season of Alf's Cartoons. Uh, in the clip, they do a retelling of The Wizard of Oz, which I am definitely afraid of, that I, you know, thinking the idea of Alf as Dorothy, so, you know, scares me a bit. So, after that, uh, they, you know, tell Alf, well, we gotta get out of here. You know, how can we do this? So, Alf says the only way to get out is they gotta go to the master programmer. And once you get to the master programmer, he will send you back to your time. And, of course, they showed another clip from the ALF cartoon. So, um, after they're done talking with ALF, they start walking, uh, going on this journey to find the master programmer. And as they do that, they come across, Hello, I'm the Micro Machine Man! What about the Micro Machine Cars? Yes, that guy is on there. And he is a character named Flip. Get it? Flip the TV. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he tells them, you know, about the master programmer. You don't want to go anywhere near the master programmer. And he just fades away. And if you think that's the only time we see the master programmer, it's not. So after that, the boy, or uh, the gang... Uh, continues to walk around, and they find a... Oh, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I went just a few seconds forward. Um, so we go back to the school where Kelly and Jesse are there, and maybe you can help me describe this part, because I don't remember this character being on Saved by the Bell. No. Okay. She wasn't. Okay. Okay. Um, a lot of times they were, um, in order to make the special, because this was a special that aired on, in primetime on NBC, so they incorporated, as you'll later learn, a few of the stars of NBC programs at the time, mm -hmm. and Marsha Warfield 
was currently starring on Night Court at that time. So they brought her into this special as their teacher. But no, she wasn't their teacher on the show. She was on Night Court. And then shortly after Night Court, she was on Empty Nest. So, yeah, she wasn't on Saved by the Bell. Okay. So she had, she's sort of like the detention person for this special. And, you know, she talks to the girls and they're like, Ah, oh, where are your friends? They're not here. Um, and she has these two Doberman pinchers who look like they are just about ready to eat something. They haven't eaten in weeks. So she tells Kelly and Jesse that if they are not back, meaning Zach and uh, Screech, if they are not back by lunchtime, they will have permanent detention. Which I don't think is even possible, but who knows. So we go back to TV land, I guess we could call it, and the gang is walking around, and wait, they see a bunch of Japanese stuff. And there's this lantern that's glowing. And it's Mr. Miyagi. Not really Mr. Miyagi. But it's the cartoon character Mr. Miyagi. And they preview the Karate Kid cartoon show. Which I did not know existed until then. So yes, uh, we get the Karate Kid cartoon show. Um, I don't believe, uh, no, it wasn't, uh, the, it, it, I don't think it was any of them who, no, it wasn't any of the main people that were, vo you know, voiced in this show, so, for those who are wondering, no. Okay, so, after they go through the Karate Kid, um, there's this door with a bunch of smoke just standing there for no reason none whatsoever and Lisa accidentally goes through the portal and the guys are trying to decide okay who's gonna go well in the end Zack and Slater decide to ultimately go through well they end up in Smurf Village and we get this clip of the Smurfs. And Papa Smurf gives us a description of one of the episodes that will air this season. Which is Baby Smurf finds a dinosaur. And Grandpa Smurf has some kind of magic that sends the dinosaur back to its time. However, some of the Smurfs end up going back with him. Oops. I wonder how that will end. I, I, I think we could sort of tell by this point the Smurfs are getting desperate on stories. Yeah. I didn't care much for them to begin with, though. So, after that, uh, somehow they come back to wherever they are. They don't explain how. And why look, they're at Camp Candy. 
Uh oh. Yep, Camp Candy debuted in 1989. And, oh my goodness, it's John Candy! Yes, John Candy makes an appearance on this special. And he comes in with all sorts of sporting equipment. And we get a preview of Camp Candy, another brand new show that's going to appear on NBC this September. Um, and I gotta be honest, I was a fan of Camp Candy as a kid. I really liked the theme song more than anything else. I remember seeing it, but it was in reruns on cable after John Candy had passed away. Right. So, yeah. That, that's how I watched it as well, so... Um, so after they visit Camp Candy, they go and they ask, you know, where they can find the master programmer. And, and John Candy tells him, or tells them, you're going the right way, just keep going where you are. So after we come back from a commercial break, the gang gets stuck in the middle of the TV road. Because we see a bunch of signs pointing to different NBC shows. Such as ALF, The Cosby Show, Cheers, Unsolved Mysteries, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. So, again, we get a visit from Flip. And Flip tells them, you know, it's, a, it's Saturday morning cartoons. Use your imaginations for whatever you want on. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if you want me to think of Cheers being on Saturday morning or the Cosby show or any other NBC show at that time on. I don't know if you want me to do that. So Screech, he is the only one who is doing this. And... Uh -huh. He just ventures away, and the gang follows him. And here is this big Nintendo controller on the ground. And they walk on it. So basically, it's a prop. It's a TV prop. And we get a preview of yet another new cartoon that's going to air. Called Captain and the Game Master. Which, for those of you who don't know what it is, it is basically a teenager who is a kick-butt player of video games. He goes into this world of video game characters, uh -huh. and he is joined up um, by, and, and I have the characters here, Mega Man, Kid Icarus... Simon Belmont from Castlevania. Um, those are like the real video game characters. And there's also Game Boy. So, um, and there are villains. King Hippo, the Eggplant Wizard, Dr. Wily, Mother Brain is there. So, somehow this went for three seasons. I don't know how, but it made it through three seasons. Oh. So after we get that, um, they go to another 
area and hey it's Alvin and the Chipmunks neighborhood and we get a clip of Alvin and the Chipmunks and we get I thought maybe I'm wrong the most angry version of do you love me <laughs> I have ever heard I Yes. I mean, it's like, do you love me? Damn it! Do you love me? <laughs> they actually don't say damn it, but, you know, that would have been... Oh, but, yeah, Alvin kind of yelled when he... <laughs> yeah, it's like, he's probably like, listen, I've been in the studio for 15 hours, and you want me to sing this shithole song? Kiss me. Sing love songs on the show. He'd like a girl, and he'd be like trying to get the girl to like him. So he'd start, you know. <laughs> oh, and and the clip is them with iguanas. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. That that was really weird. So that happens. So anyway, um, Kelly and Jesse, they're watching this god awful performance. And, um, they have their TV turned off by detention person, which is what I'm calling her. I'm just calling her detention person. And, you know, she's like, oh, why are you watching Alvin and the Chipmunks? And they're like, it's for music appreciation. So she reminds them, you know, hey, if they don't come back, they're going to get, you know, detention. And then she makes some stupid comment about, bring back Lawrence Welk. Yes. And she just gets this stare of, huh? And the sad thing is, I thought about it, like, God, like, if they did something like this now, her character would be, like, our generation, which is really weird. Right. <laughs> so, um, so now the gang finally has reached the end of the path. They've made it all the way to the end of the Golden Road. And here is the programming master. And oh, by the way, every time they said programming master, they played some weird, like, song. Yeah, of powers. Like, some crazy like that. So, you know, he does, you know, like, I am the programming master. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they tell them, you know, they tell him his name and he takes off this cape and <gasps> Sherman Hemsley. <laughs> yep. During the time of Amen. Sherman yeah, Hemsley is the programming master. Yeah. <laughs> and he's actually... A very nice person. This like the best part of the special. Right. He is the best part. Yeah. Despite being, you know, despite what we've been told, that, you know, he's not a nice guy, he's actually a pretty cool person. But he has a problem. The problem is, he has this one black square on the TV. He has this one little black square. He just needs one more show. 
He needs one more show to be on there, and his job is complete. And he looks at the kids, and he's like, You guys! You guys could be the ones that fill the last spot. So he explains, and we get a clip, and he says that your show will be called Saved by the Bell. And then they're like, why is it going to be called that? You'll see. So they get transported back to Bayside High as Kelly and Jesse are there to meet them maybe in the hallway and detention person is there and she is about ready to give them permanent detention when all four come back and the bell rings and they get they go like oh saved by the bell so after that Zach decides Let's go eat a hearty lunch, and then we'll read our math books. And that is the end of Who Shrunk Saturday Morning, the NBC TV lineup special for 1989. Um, I, I, before we get into the schedule for that year, um... Let's just say, comparing this one to the one we did last year, um, this was creative. Again, they did a good job as far as, you know, a creative idea for how to get kids to watch, you know, this show, this special. Have a story, and unlike last year, where it was a TV studio, you know, where they're filming the special, it's just these kids who, you know, because of Screech, which I don't remember him doing a lot of creative stuff, he goes and, you know, makes this shrinking machine, and, you know, you have a good story. Um... Is it better than the one we watched last year? That's a tough decision. That really is tough for me because I thought last year's was actually good. And, you know, it, it's really tough. I, I would say they're both even, to be honest. Street's not doing experiments. Um, someone addressed it in the YouTube comments. They said that during the first season, he did do it. Okay. He did do wacky um, adventures, like things that will phased out after, like, the halfway through. Mm -hmm. so, um, but it was interesting to see because Saved by the Bell, at this point, they had aired just a few episodes in primetime, but they had never aired it on Saturday morning. And the day after this aired, they debuted on Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird because that show, I mean, I was um, three and a half when this special aired. But I, uh, but that show, I remember, I have very vivid memories of being a kid and watching Saved by the Bell Saturday morning. And it's probably one of the earliest um, memories I have. 
so it's weird to think of a time when it was considered like new <laughs> because it's always been there. And what? So, so it was kind of weird. And, and then I had to look at the date when it aired, and right. I was like, oh yeah, this was before. Um, because it's weird for them to be like, Saved by the Bell? Why is it called? Or us? Really? Yeah. Yeah, because, and I think it was really a good decision to have them do this, because at the time, they had only aired a few times in primetime. No one really knew who they were. Um, so, that, that was a good idea to do it that way, and, you know, get people to sort of usher in and show what the plot of the show kind of was in a way. Mm -hmm. um, although they're, they were at the snacks about as much as they were at school, but um, I, I like that. Um, the cartoons, most of them I didn't even know existed. Right. Um, I, I was a huge Chipmunks fan, so when I saw the Chipmunks, I was like, okay, yeah. But the Smurfs, I, you know, I remember the Smurfs. Camp Candy, I remember, but I didn't know it was on NBC. Um, but I didn't know the Karate Kid was ever a cartoon. Right. And um, I vaguely remember Alex having a cartoon series, but I I just remember the sitcom where I remember that. And yeah. I had an Alex doll as a child. So. But all in all, it's interesting to see these specials because the ones I remember when I was a kid, just had the, um, they would air them on, t well, this was for ABC, I don't know how NBC did it, but ABC would have the kids on TGIF that would host TGIF every week in character, so they would have a special where the characters from the TGIF show would be sitting on the couch in their living room talking about the Saturday morning cartoon shows that were coming on the next day. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really a plot or anything. It was just, hey, did you see um, Sonic or something like that? So, yeah. But that one was, even though there were a lot of extremely cheesy moments that made me go, ugh, it wasn't as painful as last year's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the difference, well, I mean, if you think about last year's, the one that we watched. Yeah. They had, like, a lot of guests on there. And then they had, like, a couple musical performances. And then there was that one with, um, oh, God, not Pat. Patty LaBelle. Yeah, Patty LaBelle. And then you had Pee Wee Herman doing a dance. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar doing a dance. And Roddy Piper doing a dance. And uh, it was complete chaos. This one, it felt controlled, you know? Yeah. So, here's how the schedule went for NBC for 1989 and into 90. Alf Tales started it off at 8, followed by Camp Candy at 8.30, then Captain N, the Game Master at 9, Karate Kid at 9.30, then from 10 to 11, an hour of the Smurfs. They're the only ones to get an hour. At 11, the Chipmunks, 11.30, Saved by the Bell, at 12 is Alf, and at 12.30 is Kissy Fur. And here's the thing. 
none of the lineup gets changed in the middle of the season. Everything stays the same. That's very good for a cartoon, could be. Get shifted around all the time. Now, I'm sure you're wondering, what were they up against that year? Mm. Well, I have it right here in front of me. Uh-huh. We'll start with ABC. 8 a.m., Alf Tales was up against a pup named Scooby-Doo. Camp Candy and Captain N, the Game Master, were up against Disney's Gummy Bears Winnie the Pooh Hour. Wow. The Karate Kid and the first half of Smurfs went up against Slimer and the real Ghostbusters from 9.30 to 10.30. Mm. The Smurfs at 10.30 were up against Beetlejuice. The Chipmunks and Saved by the Bell went up against the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. Yeah, that I knew. Alf was up against Animal Crackups, and Kissy Fur was up against the ABC Weekend Special. Because on um, when they did the E True Hollywood Story Saved by the Bell, everybody kept saying, "Yeah, we're up against Looney Tunes." You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard when you know. That's your competition. It's hard when Bugs Bunny's kicking your ass. And it's also weird because Saved by the Bell eventually resurrected the live action Saturday morning show. Yeah, and I was going to say something about that. And, and, I'll, and I'll save it for when we uh, get to it in a moment. Uh-huh. So this is what they were dealing with against CBS uh-huh. that season. At 8 o'clock, Alf Tales went up against... Dink the Little Dinosaur. Never heard of it. From 8.30 to 9.30, Camp Candy and Captain N went up against the Muppet Babies. The Karate Kid went up against Pee-wee's Playhouse at 9.30. At 10, the Smurfs went up against the California Raisin Show. And at 10.30, they went up against the first half hour of Garfield at Friends. The Chipmunks went up against the second half of Garfield and Friends. Saved by the Bell went up against Rude Dog and the Dweebs. Never heard of it. Alf went up against The Adventures of Raggedy Ann and Andy. And Kissy Fur went up against CBS Story Break. Uh-huh. Now, CBS made only one change during this season. Actually, two changes. Pardon me. They moved the California Raisin Show from 10 a.m. to 8.30. The Muppet Babies got moved from 8.30 to 9. They still had their hour, so they went from 9 to 10. And Pee-wee's Playhouse was moved to 10 Mm a.m. And the next season for NBC, let me tell you this. A lot changes. The Smurfs, gone. The Chipmunks, gone. Alf, gone. The Karate Kid, gone. The only ones that survive are Camp Candy, Captain N, and Saved by the Bell. Those are the only ones that survive the 89-90 season. 
2006, uh, this movie was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. Wow. The movie ended up earning three Academy Award nominations for 1974. Madeline Kahn got a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Uh, they also got Best Film Editing and was nominated for Best Original Song being the title track, Blazing Saddles, which is a great song. The movie won... Uh, best Comedy Written Directly for the Screen by the Writers Guild of America. Mm -hmm. The American Film Institute. Um, they've, you know, had them up many times. In 1998, it was nominated for the list of the 100 Greatest Movies of All Time. In 2000, it was ranked as the 6th Funniest Movie of All Time. Although I think it should have been higher. Um, it was nominated in 2004 for the list of 100 songs with the song I'm Tired. In 2005, it was nominated in the 100 movie quotes category. In 2007, it was nominated again for the 10th anniversary edition of the 100 top movies. And it was, nom it was nominated for uh, AFI's top 10, top 10 special in the Western film department and a famous story with this movie is that Mel Brooks uh, had a had a conversation with John Wayne and John Wayne you know he's he, he's the, the, the king of the westerns basically and he you know Mel Brooks Asks him, you know, after he tells him the entire plot, what the movie's going to be, he later asks him, do you want to be in this movie? And John Wayne says, no, I don't want to be in this movie. It sounds really offensive, but I'll be the first person in line at the movie theater to get a ticket. So... John Wayne, I, I I always wonder how John Wayne felt about that movie. Uh -huh. Be very interesting to know. But Blazing Saddles, an all-time classic. Um, there's no way it'll ever be remade, not in a million years. Which is why we should appreciate this classic movie. Very true. Um, this movie I'm going to pick. Um, I tried to do back to school, um, movies, um, around September, mm -hmm. but, um, I'm looking through the ones I picked and I can't, um, come up with a good one. Right. I'm just going to do one that takes place, it involves in a way, but the majority of it takes place over winter break. So, it's a little bit early for that. Right. But, um, my pick is a movie called The Sure Thing, which, um, stars John Cusack, uh, Daphne Zuniga, who, who um, mo most people would know as Princess Vespa in Spaceballs. Right. But, this was a 
two years before Spaceballs was made. So she, um, and directed by Rob Reiner, two years before he did The Princess Bride. Um, and it's a very underrated film, extremely underrated. I, I the main reason, um, Comedy Central, when I was in high school, uh, we're talking about around like 2000, 2001, they aired um, a lot of forgotten 80s teen movies. Like 80s teen movies, which didn't have a huge, which weren't like huge followings like The Breakfast Club or 16 Candles. Mm -hmm. Just, eight, you know, random forgotten 80s teen movies. And this was one of them, the sure thing. But basically, it's about a guy who, um, he, uh, he's, uh, go, John Cusack, he goes to college in New England, and he's coming back to, um, he's going to UCLA to visit his friend for winter break, because his friend has this girl that is the sure thing, like, because John Cusack is worried that he's lost his touch with girls, and he's like, well, this girl is the shirt, like, you will not mess up hmm. with this girl at all. Like, you go, it's just, um, she's great, I've told her all about you, she's, you know. So, he wants to meet this girl. He doesn't know who this girl is, and this is in the, you know, 1985, this was before, you know, you could say, well, we talked online, so we have an idea of each other. Long before that. Yeah, he's never talked to this girl. He just knows what his friends told him. So he decides to take, um, go, he doesn't have any airplane fare, he doesn't have a car, so he goes to a ride share, meaning like, um, he sees a flyer, these people are going to be driving across the country, we'll ride with them. Well, the girl that winds up riding with them too is Allison, who's Japanese Zuniga's character, whom he had met earlier in the film and tried to get together with, mm -hmm. but, and it almost worked, but because he, his friend is like the worst influence, um, and it's really funny because the guy who plays his best friend is Anthony Edwards, who later went on to play like a doctor on ER for like 20 years, um, so it's kind of weird seeing him play like this. His best friend gives him, like, the worst advice on girls. and like, you have to be all quick and this and that. So she's repulsed by him. They go and um, share a ride share. They wind up arguing, and the people who are driving them kick them out of the car. So they have to spend the rest of this movie to get to California. Oh, jeez. A road trip movie. So that's what it's about. And so the majority, the bulk of the movie is the two of them hitchhiking, doing whatever it takes to get to California to go, because she's going to go see her boyfriend, and he's going to go see this girl, and, well, <laughs> if, in typical TV movie fashion, you can probably guess what happens. Mm -hmm. It's a really good movie <laughs> um, called The Sure Thing, and um, I own it. Um, I don't know if you can get it on its own. It's in a two- DVD pack with the movie Valley Girl. Um, that, that's how I got it packaged. Um, I don't know if you can buy it on DVD by itself. But, right. Um, but it's a really good movie. And I wish Comedy Central would do that more. Air, um, 
they're more or less known 80s teen movies because I think they're very interesting. Hmm. Okay. Very good. So, now we will go from our movie to our album of the month, and Danielle gets to start it off. <sighs> I am always so terrible at this. <laughs> okay. This is going to sound utterly and completely ridiculous, but like I said, I am terrible at this, and I never prepared in advance, so I wanted to picking random titles from my room. <laughs> um, this is the first album I ever owned. Ah. So I, I'm going to open with that so you can understand why this sounds so random and dated. Um, but this was one of the first albums I ever owned. Uh, my parents, uh, um, for Christmas, I got a stereo system and my mother had thought, you remember Columbia House? Yes. Yeah, we had to talk about that last year. Right. Columbia House, and had gotten a few CDs from Columbia House with my new stereo Christmas of, I think this was like, I want to say 98, yeah, 98, and um, one of those albums, again, 98, was Big Willie Style. Ah, uh, Will Smith. Will Smith, Big Willie Style. Because, now, I know this sounds ridiculous, and that, you know, hey, what kind of historical significance does this album have? Well, I mean, technically it is nostalgic. It's nostalgic. You know, people are like, well, you know, they don't rap about the real issues, and all he said was getting jiggy with it. Well, you know what? Sometimes, I, I don't listen to rap music to hear, like, stories about how hard life is, or how... You know, I, I just want something upbeat to just, I don't know, bop my head off key to or something. Um, so, Big Willie style, it is just the most, you have getting jiggy with it, you have Miami, um, you have the Men in Black theme, you have, and then you have a song called Candy, which... The third verse is just genius because he manages to squeeze so many names of candy into a rap and make it somehow believable. Um, where he's like says, get the twins M&M to book us out a flight today. Me and you can starburst to the Milky Way. I don't care what it costs, girl, 100 grand. We can sneak her all night at my Jolly Ranch because I can wow. get my boy's Babe Ruth from Charleston. See? Wow. And you got to give credit for putting that the whole song. I mean, that, that's just so catchy. And, yeah, it's ridiculous. And, yeah, it's incredibly cheesy. And it's probably, like, it's almost 20 years old. And, I, I, you know, but sometimes you just need something upbeat to listen to. Oh, and it does have just his version of Just the Two of Us, which is dedicated to his son, not Jaden, because um, his son Jaden, I don't believe was, I, he might have been born, I don't know, but it's dedicated to his son for his first marriage, Trey. Mm. Um, it's called The Just the Two of Us. Right. And um, so, yeah, very, very, 
But like Bill said, it is nostalgic. And yes, it if is. you want to think of rap from the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was all upbeat and, you know, <laughs> and it just was like, hey, we're having a good time. We're just driving in the car and smiling. That, yeah. No. Um, mine is a complete opposite of Danielle's. <laughs> can imagine. Um, but it's not in the way that you think. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I actually was looking through my list of artists, you know, like the different albums that I've selected. And the one thing I've noticed is... I have yet to pick a female artist. Maybe, maybe, unless I'm wrong. You know what? Before I say what it is, I'm going to look back real quick because the list wasn't that far, um, wasn't that far away. Um, Let me see. Uh, No, I have not picked a female artist on here. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the whole, oh, he's a man, I don't know. I don't know what it is, why I didn't. But that's going to end today. Uh, my pick, one of, one of the great female singers of all time, totally underrated as far as just, just great singers in general, and that is Pat Benatar. And the album that I am picking is from 2005, so it is a little bit old, but it is her greatest hit. And this is the album that really got me into Pat Benatar, um, the musician. Um, I mean, these are just so many great songs. You start the album with Heartbreaker which is a really good song. Um, but, but it all, you know, it has the big hits that she's had. Hit Me With Your Best Shot, You Better Run, um, Love Is A Battlefield, We Belong. Um, but it also has songs that, you know, are also really good, in my opinion, like We Live For Love, Hell Is For Children, which... When you listen to that song, you know, you got to hear the words to understand why it's called Hell is for Children. Um, Precious Time, which is a great song. The video is just very weird, but, you know, it's the 80s, so it's going to be that way. Um, Looking for a Stranger, Invincible, um, All Fired Up. Just great music from beginning to end. It's 20 tracks of just really good stuff and how Pat Benatar is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right now is an absolute crime because she really should be and I think it's just going to be a matter of time before she finally is inducted in because she really does deserve it. She was one of the first female stars of that MTV era and she's still going today. She's still touring, you know, She's doing a great job. If you really want to get into Pat Benatar, this is the album to get into her greatest hits. You get the best, the best of the best from her. Huh. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it 
for our show for this month. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Yep, we, we do have a Twitter account um, that Danielle does not have to worry about ever because <laughs> she doesn't have to run it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Nostalgia Crew 15. That is Nostalgia Crew 15. Uh, you follow us and we'll follow you. And, you know, you guys can get the word out on our wonderful podcast. So, the next time we're going to talk to you guys, which is actually going to be in a couple of weeks. Usually we'd say, oh, next month, but it's actually going to be in a couple of weeks. Yep. We are going to get... Well, actually, our our board is already getting ready for Halloween. Um, yep. uh, Brian, the unofficial librarian of the Nostalgia Crew, he posted a very good video, which I recommend to any movie viewer. Of, uh, and just in general, but you should watch it. But anyway, next month, or not next month, sometime this month, we are going to review... Another Disney DTV special. Uh -huh. And we are going to review Disney DTV Monster Hits. Yep. And I know that this was one that you were really looking forward to. Yes, because um, I grew up on it. Yeah. And, and I own it. <laughs> yeah, we, we have it too. I just got to find the tape somewhere. Yeah, we have the tape. But to say that it's in good quality, probably not. <laughs> oh, well. But, yeah. But, yeah, we'll review that, and who knows? Maybe we'll come up with other topics um, in the next several weeks between now and the next time you hear us. So, thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of Nostalgia Crew. Don't forget to give us uh, a good review on iTunes, four-star, five-star rating. Give us a good review because the more good reviews we get, the more people are going to know about us. So, for Danielle, I'm Bill. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Nostalgia Crew, and we'll talk to you guys real soon.